The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said to his disciples, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who comes from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. You also are to testify, because you have been with me from the beginning. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, and you will see me no longer. About judgment, because the ruler of this world has been condemned. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of Truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. I feel like I should terrify everyone by starting off in German or some other language. <laughs> but perhaps English. This day of Pentecost is such a showstopper, with its tongues of fire, its speaking in tongues, its mighty wind, and the promise of another advocate, which all seems strangely stiff in the middle of the swirl of other images. Who can get all that excited about an advocate, a lawyer? Of all the principal feasts of the church year, Pentecost is near the top of my list. Sure, I love Christmas. And yes, Easter is great. All Saints Day, I'll give you Epiphany. But Pentecost is right up there, easily ahead of Ascension and Trinity. So for this feast, that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, gets the bulk of the attention. One of my favorite pastimes to prepare for sermons is to see what the Right Reverend and Most Honorable Mr. Google has to say. And as you might guess, the answer is plenty. 
But as with all things Google, you have to add a fair amount of salt to everything. One helpful site was able to give me a selection of sermons by denominational category. There were five Roman Catholic sermons, three Anglican sermons, 32 Church of God sermons, and a whopping 98 Baptist sermons. I'm guessing mostly Southern, but that was not specified. Well, what self-respecting Myers-Briggs ST could resist such an attractive nuisance? Not me. And as I was hoping, there was a pattern. All five of the Roman Catholic sermons began with a nod to the, to the day being the birthday of the church. All three Anglican sermons seemed to have nothing in common with each other. <laughs> but they were very tasteful. I mostly avoided the Church of God sermons, and the Baptist trove all seemed highly interested in the various gifts of the Spirit. Okay, so I did delve into one of the Church of God sermons. It started out with the observation that the book of Acts up to this point that we heard today in French is much like the books of Genesis. Genesis, according to the sermon, tells the story of creation until sin rears its ugly head. And Acts tells the story of the formative church until apostasy strikes. I clicked away at that point. Google did not seem to be bringing to me the spirit of wisdom. The notion of Pentecost as the birthday of the church is certainly venerable. I've even heard of a practice in some congregations of singing happy birthday to the church, a practice I would have to describe as a crime against liturgy. If by the church we understand that it refers to the gathering of people and not so much to the institutions and hierarchy, I'd be more enthusiastic, though singing happy birthday would still be a crime. But I suspect that for many, including many leading the singing, the institution is exactly what is meant. Now across the street in the washed-in-the-blood Pentecostal Holiness Church, the focus is not so much on birthdays and on, as on ecstatic prayer. Now, over the years, I've had the honor of being present for a number of ecstatic prayer services. I've even sung in a gospel quartet that fueled some of the ecstasy. And I have far more respect for that style of worship having been in the middle of it. But I'm also quite certain that it's not the language of worship for me. So what can I make of Pentecost if I'm neither comfortably Pentecostal nor willingly traditional? All this speaking in tongues is intriguing, but also, for me, profoundly uncomfortable. And yes, I have been involved in worship services where folk all around me were verbalizing ecstatically, ecstatically in unknown tongues. And curiously, the lectionary gives us an alternative today to reading the story of Pentecost from the book of Acts in any language, which would seem like having an option on Easter of not reading the story of Jesus rising. But there you have it. We could have read from Ezekiel, the story of the Valley of Dry Bones, to be exact. This is one of the great illustrations of a mystical vision, of the action of the Spirit, a vision in which Ezekiel sees a monstrous collection of dead bones take on sinew and flesh and draw breath. Its relevance to a day when the Spirit is so prominent is profound. For breathing, for breath, pneuma, is spirit 
the ancient languages uses the same word for breath and for spirit. These bones come to life and take in the Holy Spirit when they take in breath. It's another view of the action of Pentecost. Now, most of us who hang around monasteries and pray a lot have experiences now and then of messages coming through from some spiritual source. They are, to a greater or lesser degree, mystical inbreakings or encounters with spirit. And if you have them enough and on a fairly grand scale, you get to be called a mystic. On this day of Pentecost, when we remember this gigantic mystical spiritual inbreaking, it's worth remembering a bit of our mystical heritage. The religious tradition is littered with mystics of one sort or another, more than we sometimes think. Some argue that Ignatius of Loyola and Martin of Luther had one common trait. They were mystics. England, and it's not obvious why, has contributed more than its fair share of mystics, though the Church of England is, by and large, a staid and highly intellectual institution, we're sometimes just plain drowsy. Yet it has produced luminaries like William Blake, Evelyn Underhill, John and Charles Wesley, to name just a few. The Wesleys are described as having triggered the Great Awakening in the Church of England that leads in a fairly direct line to the Pentecostal movement in the United States. In the U.S., our mystical tradition spans centuries. The Quakers and the Shakers have deep mystical roots. Jonathan Edwards was a great leader in the, and mystic within the New England Congregational Movement. Martin Luther King, more recently, was a deeply mystical presence. When he told us he'd seen the place where all God's children could play together, I don't think that was just incredibly beautiful prose. I think it was an honest retelling of a mystical experience. Now, all of that is just to justify my own little experience preparing for this sermon. I was pondering what to make of all that speaking in tongues and such. I was focused on talking and communicating and languages, that sort of thing. And then I heard a voice in my mind that said, it's not about speaking, it's about listening. It's great for the apostles that they get to speak in apparently every language in the known world, but the miracle is that everyone gets to listen. The Spirit speaks in such a way that everyone can hear. The mighty and the meek, the rich and the poor, the clean and the corrupt, people of the right race and people of the wrong race, everyone gets to listen. Now, Surely the Spirit, not bound in any way to time or place, speaks to us today in a way that we can listen in a way that is tuned perfectly to each and every one of us. But we tend to want to talk rather than to listen. In the Gospel reading today, Jesus laments that he has much to say to the disciples, but they cannot bear to hear it. They cannot bear to listen. But not to worry. The Spirit of truth will come and lead us into all truth. That is our journey. We still cannot bear to listen to all that God has to say. But bit by bit, we're being led by the Spirit in the direction of truth, of true knowledge of God's love. But we cannot know God's love without sharing God's love. Kenneth Boulding, one of my favorite economists, 
who also happened to be a devout Quaker and a mystical poet, says in a sonnet, We know not how that day is to be born, whether in tongues of fire and wings of flame, as once at Pentecost the Spirit came, or whether imperceptibly as dawn. But as the seed must grow into a tree, so life is love, and love the end must be. It strikes me that for most of my life I have thought of Pentecost as a day for speaking. But the story from Acts is as much about listening as speaking, about drawing breath, spirit. So in the spirit of Pentecost, think of nothing to say. Just breathe and come, Holy Spirit.